Hey, church, how you doing? Hey, look to your left and right, and uh, San Diego is a city of Navy SEALs. This is the Navy SEALs for Jesus. A tropical storm won't stop you. Way to go. Hope you came hungry for the Word of God this morning. Before we jump in, tomorrow night is our first meeting, our first voting meeting of the Light Project, our journey to build a permanent facility on the 8 Freeway, and so we'll be meeting with the Navajo Planning Commission, and so please be praying. That meeting is at 6.30. We're asking for soft hearts and favor in the city, and we'll keep you informed on that. Um, and then you heard that we'll have a prayer meeting to kick off the fall on Tuesday night up here, and so we're excited to do that this week as well. Turn with me in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 7. Today, I want to talk to you on the term koinonia, koinonia. It's a Greek word. If you're unfamiliar with it or you're not certain of what it means, don't worry. We're going to unpack it today. And actually, my heart's desire is by the end of the message, you'd actually have a deep yearning, a deep hunger to experience true koinonia. We continue to hear people decrying the challenges going on in our modern times, and people continually bemoan what's going on in this generation. But I do want to say, I see something very encouraging. I see in this generation and in our day and age, a greater desire for connectedness, a greater desire to walk with other people, a greater desire for community than ever before. And one of the ways we see it is through the action movies and through the type of heroes that we're actually seeing. So in my grandfather's generation, in my father's generation, the American hero was always the lone and solitary person fighting evil, right? So in my grandfather's generation, it was the Lone Ranger. In my father's generation, it was John Wayne, Clint Eastwood, James Bond. But you've probably noticed in the 2000s, there's been a shift. And uh, we, you really saw it poignantly in what Stefan, my favorite trilogy, is The Lord of the Rings. And so even the, the title of the first movie, The Fellowship of the Rings. So here you have this eclectic group. They're from different races. You see Aragorn, the man next to Gandalf the wizard next to Steph's favorite, Legolas the elf. I often say that she's elven because she just doesn't age. And you see the, the wily hobbits down beneath. You see that, that fierce and stubborn dwarf, Gimli. And you just fell in love with this idea of a diverse group of people coming together and committed to relationship. I think it's even funny, the, the smash hit, Top Gun, Maverick, which Maverick actually, if you know what the name means, it means to be fiercely independent. And the movie Maverick was all about community. Um, fiercely independent in community. And so the, the movie is about them having a bond and laying down their lives for their friends. But I think that nothing depicts this heart's desire with how insanely popular Guardians of the Galaxy have been. So for some reason, we love watching a humanized raccoon hang out with a personified tree, Groot, uh, with this wily human and uh, some aliens and a robot, but they're all coming together with this big heart for each other with a desire to, 
to save the universe. And I actually want to tell you that that's a biblical theme. Let's look at Revelation chapter 7. The reason I'm going here is I want to start with the end in mind. Many people, when you talk about heaven, it's just like a big mystery, a fog for them. But there are very clear pictures of what eternity looks like laid out for us in Scripture. And so Revelation 7 is one of those beautiful pulling back of the curtains to, to see what life will be like. It says, after this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding branches in their hands, and they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne. All the angels were standing around the throne, and all the elders and the four living creatures, and they all fell down on their faces before the throne and worshiped God. This week I was watching a documentary on infinity. And it was so fascinating for me to hear these brilliant scientists talk about the never-ending nature, the mind-boggling concept of infinity. But then this scientist goes on to say, but I'm not infinity. I won't last forever. I'll just die, and I'll end up in the ground all alone in a casket. And I'm thinking, that's not the case for us as believers. We actually according to scripture, live forever, not solitary in the ground, but in community gathered with a multitude of people. Jesus said this in John chapter 14. He said, don't let your hearts be troubled. He said, in my father's house are many rooms, and I'm going there to prepare a place for you. Look at what John, I mean, uh, says in Revelation 21. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a beautifully dressed bride for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be their God, and he'll wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there'll be no more death, no more mourning, no more crying, no more pain, for the old order of things has passed away. Do you understand that as a follower of Jesus, you're headed to eternal community? You won't be alone. You will be surrounded by the most perfect loving body of believers and then face-to-face living with the living perfect God. That's where we're going, eternal community. But it's not just where we're going, it's how God intended things when he started creation. So let's look at Genesis chapter 1. It says this, then God said, let us make mankind in our own image. If you're new to the Bible, you, you're probably a little confused. Now, why would God say, let us, instead of let me make man in our image, in our likeness? The reason why is because God is a triune God. God is community. He's the Father. He's the Son. He's the Holy Spirit. God himself lives in perfect community, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then he says, let us make mankind in our image. Do you understand? You were made for community, community with each other, community with the living God. It goes on to say this, so that they might rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind 
in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Are you following me today? And it's not just that. God actually goes on to say it's not good for man or woman to be alone. He said it's not good, so I'm going to make them a suitable helper. You were made for connection with other people. And so maybe that is why people are living on social media. I'm not encouraging that, but I'm saying there's this deep desire to constantly be connected. God actually put that desire in you. And so Jesus shows up on the scene. Jesus, God in the flesh, Emmanuel, God with us, and you're thinking, he's God. He could save the world in any way, and what does he do? He does this. In Mark chapter 3, verses 13 through 15, Jesus went on a mountainside and called to him those he wanted, and they came to him, and he appointed 12 that they might be with him, and that he might send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. Here is the original guardians of the galaxy. And they were just as goofy, right? We think of, oh, Saint Mark. St. John. No, have you read the Bible? These guys, they, 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 were, they were just as, 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 as much a goofball as Groot and Rocket the raccoon, right? They, they were always saying dumb things and putting their foot in their mouth, but, but yet Jesus wanted to live his life with them, and he said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use you guys in this crew to, 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 to understand me and then to change the world, it's beautiful. So community, it's how God started this thing. It's how he ends our time on the earth and goes into eternity. It's how Jesus chose to live his life. And then we see this picture when we see the birth of the church in Jerusalem. So Jesus dies on the cross. He raises from the dead. He ascends into heaven. And then Peter stands up and preaches this message in Jerusalem. And 3,000 people are saved in one day. And then what happens? <coughs> it says this. They devoted themselves. This is Acts 2, 42 through 47, the ultimate picture of New Testament community. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to koinonia, to fellowship. Greek word koinonia. To the breaking of bread into prayer, everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. This is Jesus's heart for his church. It's not just a formal institution with pews and stained glass windows where people can come and have a one-hour religious service. No, it's a koinonia. It's a koinonia. Let me give you some other understanding of the word koinonia. So this Greek word, it means this. The Strong's definition is partnership. It's participation. So it's not just sitting and, and listening. No, there's a partnership with each other. There's a partnership with Jesus. There's a participation. It's everyone engaged. There's a social intercourse or exchange. 
There's a benefaction. There's communication. There's a communion. There's a distribution. There's a fellowship. The Merriam-Webster's definition, the Christian fellowship or body of believers, it's something that God has given specifically to the church. Like it's different than any other type of friendships in the world. So here's a couple of other uses of koinonia in Scripture that are going to help us understand a little more this this beautiful and and almost mystical term. Listen to this in 2 Corinthians 9.13. They will glorify God because of your submission flowing from your confession of the gospel of Jesus Christ and the generosity of your koinonia for them and others. The generosity of your koinonia or contribution. Like koinonia is actually this way that we contribute to others and they contribute to us. Or Philippians 3.10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. Like this is this famous prayer that you often hear like very devout Christians saying from Philippians 3.10, and may koinonia his sufferings, that I might share, participate, understand his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. Or 1 Corinthians 10, 16. It is, not, is it not the cup of thanksgiving in which we give thanks a koinonia in the blood of Christ? You see how much more than just a, a, a mental grasping of a concept this is? There's a, a sharing, a participation, an engaging, this experiential nature, koinonia. I, I don't know if you've experienced this before, uh, I, I grew up a Christian. I grew up in a church. I'm very thankful for that. And I, it, it was a foundation for my, my life. And, um, you know, I, I'm so grateful both Stephanie and my parents raised us in the church. And what's the result? All her siblings, my siblings were all saved, all following the Lord. And, and that high commitment to that has borne fruit. Every single grandchild on both sides are saved. So there's, you, you reap what you sow in life. But even at that fact, I wouldn't say that I experienced that real koinonia. It was much more of a traditional setting. And so I, I, I get to high school and, you know, we just have this desire. Every human has this desire for these very connected, very organic and intimate relationships and <clears throat> many of you have heard about my heart condition I had as a teenager that almost killed me, and I, I got knocked out of sports. I was a football player. I got knocked out uh, of sports. I was very, very lonely. Uh, loneliness is one of the most painful experiences you can have in your life. In fact, right now, the, um, the latest studies have said over 52% of Americans say that they live in loneliness. So what is that? Every other person you see feels plagued by loneliness. I don't know if you've experienced that before. Hopefully you haven't. I have. I, I was in a different city away. And even when I came back, uh, I, felt, I, I felt stripped out of my friendship groups. And I, as my boys now, I have three boys that are all playing football on their high school football teams. And, and it, it's bringing back to mind when I was in high school how lonely I felt because I would, wa- I, I would watch on game day. You know, we'd have a pep rally and the drums would... 
and the, the football team, they'd all come in with their, their football uniforms just walking in this group. And I was just like, oh, to be in a football team, you know, to have that kind of friendship and connection. That was even more painful for me than not getting to throw a winning touchdown. It was just like being a part of a group of bros, the Round Rock Dragons. And, um, and, and, and so, you know, I, I was doing all kinds of things to try to fit in and try to be a part of a social group. And I got in a party lifestyle, and then it was just so empty. And I, I remember when I was coming to the end of, of high school, surrendering my life to Jesus, but my, I didn't have many Christians in my, in my school. And I, I just had this, like, thought. Certainly Christian friendships are higher than the friendships of the world. I don't know if you've, you've been in friendships in the world. It's, it's, they're very unstable. People are always backbiting each other. And it's, you know, it's, you, you feel like you can't miss something or you're, you're, that you're not going to be accepted anymore. You don't know where you stand with people. There's like coarse joking and, and it's very, it can be very insulting. And, and so I remember there was this, this cry in my heart, Lord, give me Christian friends. And so I'll never forget when I get to, to college and this, this friend invited me to a small group. And, and we actually met this, this group of about eight to 10 of us. We met under, we didn't, you know, we were freshmen, so we didn't have our own home. So we met under an oak tree and we met every week. And I, I wouldn't miss because I, I, I was finally starting to taste of true Christian koinonia. And it was so different because in this group, people were actually getting real. Like, you know, instead of trying to have a happy face on all the time, I remember one gal, Sherry, I mean, she just broke down because her parents were going through a divorce, and, and she's just breaking down. I remember another one saying, you know, I don't know if I'm going to even be here next semester. I want to be here so much, but I don't have the money to pay for college. And, and we were just going through, we were actually doing life with each other. And there were these times where we'd gather around someone and would lay hands on them, and as we're just pouring out our hearts in prayer, you just felt like, it, I mean, you, you almost at times I'd open my eyes and be like, is God with us right now? Like, is the Holy Spirit, I don't know if you've felt that before where you're like, God is with us right now. Or, or every once in a while we'd sing some songs and we didn't have like a guitar, we didn't have anything, we'd just sing and you, you'd just feel the Holy Spirit with us or we'd take communion in our little group. And there was just something, my my emotional heart was being healed through these committed friendships where something supernatural was taking place. And then I saw it even more as an adult. You know, sometimes we think, well, that's college, you know. Of course, you had the time and you can make that happen. No, I remember it happening when we had three little kids. You can even have community when you have kids, even in diapers and and, and so we're starting the church here, and, and, and people would come and would just gather around our dining room table and would actually see how many people we could pack around the table. And we didn't have any money, so we're just, just spaghetti meals, but we're just packed around. And one after another, people that didn't know Jesus would just say, I, I feel the peace of God. Or, or, and sometimes they wouldn't say God. They'd be like, I feel so different when I'm here. It was beautiful. John 17 starts illustrating this. John 17, 20. This is, the, this is a prayer of Jesus. So Jesus is praying for his disciples, and he says this, my prayer is not for them alone, meaning not just for the 12, 
or the 72 alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. So he's, he's praying for us right here. What's he praying? That all of them may be one. That all of them may be one. Now, I, I, I talked to about Jesus and talk with people about Jesus and talk to people just as I go throughout the city. And sometimes people will say like, well, me and the man upstairs, we have our own understanding. You know, or I don't go to church or I don't need church because we, we kind of have our own thing. And I'm always like, no, you don't. Because actually that's not the God of the Bible because he created you for community with other people. Like you, you never just have a relationship with a head right? I mean, horror movies have heads, or Lord of the Rings, right? It's just like an eye, right? No, but it's a whole body. And, and, and so to know God, you have to, to know his body. You have to be a part of his body. Father, now it gets even crazier. I pray that they be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. So he's like, I want them to have the same connection with each other that I have with you, Father. And I'm like, I, I, can't even, I can't even wrap my mind around this. And then he keeps going, watch. May they also be in us. So our, our, the reason that New Testament koinonia community is so different than anything in the world is that we have the supernatural agape love. Kendall preached a message on this agapeo type of love, which is a, a supernatural, unconditional love. The only way it's possible is because the Holy Spirit lives in us. Um, have you had this experience yet where you actually feel a love for your enemies? Um, I, 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 wanna, I want us to all ask the Lord for that. Now, I don't want more of an opportunity to have it. But I, I've had people that have persecuted and hated me. And like my first response is like, oh, I'll tell you. I, why I, yada, you know. But as I pray, he actually fills me with supernatural love where I actually feel passion, compassion. I actually feel a, 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 a holy heart. I'm like, I, I don't want someone that doesn't know you but that hates me to, to go to hell and spend eternity in hell. I, I, I don't want someone to suffer. I, I don't want them to suffer on earth with this, the pain of hatred. But that's only, can I just tell you, like me and my natural man, I'm a fighter. Like I'm, a, I'm a debater. And so I know that that's God when I start feeling that. That is agape love. Have you ever had someone just do you wrong in the church? Okay. Please don't raise your hand right now. Please don't point right now. You're, yeah, right, yeah, yeah. Yes, Pastor, I'm with you. Yes, right there. Um, but the, 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 it, it's going to happen because we're people. But the Lord can put agape love so we can have koinonia fellowship. Agape, unconditional love, so we can have koinonia. We can have New Testament organic, intimate, authentic relationship. Now watch this. This is crazy. That you, uh, may they also be in us so that the world may believe 
that the world may believe, that the world may believe that you sent me. I have given them glory that you gave me, that they might be one as we are one, I and them and you and me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know. Then the world will know that you sent me and I love them even as I as you have loved me. Now this, I, I, I saw this. I got to see, I pray that everyone would get to see this. And I think we will as we're committed to this as a church. people. Um, we were in the nation of Lebanon. We were reaching out to Muslim young people. And after a couple weeks of building relationships through playing basketball and being on their campus, we said, okay, how are we going to reveal Jesus to them? Because they, they don't even believe in our holy book. They believe in the Quran. We believe in the Bible. So we had a life group. We had a, a small group together. And so we're, we're sharing uh, you know, food just like we do in our life groups. And then we start having a discussion. And in the discussion, so we open up the Bible, read a few verses, we start having a discussion. And in the discussion, a debate breaks out because these young people are Muslims. And so they start saying the normal defense against Christianity. No, the Bible's been changed. No, Muhammad is the the ultimate revelation and the ultimate prophet. No, Jesus didn't die on the cross. God would never let his son die on the cross. He replaced Judas with Jesus on the cross. And so it's like those normal things. And then what happened was breathtaking. Uh, This big guy that we'd been hanging out with for a couple weeks named Muhammad, believe it or not, he goes, hey, everyone, be quiet. And he shushes all his friends. And he goes, we need to stop arguing. He goes, I've, we've been with these people and we watched them for two weeks and they are different than us. He said, I've watched how the guys treat the girls. They're not just trying to hook up with them. They're not trying to just get them in bed. They treat them like sisters. That's different. And he goes, and then I've watched how they care for each other. It's not selfishness. It's not backbiting. But they have a true love for each other. Don't you see what they have is different than us? So we need to listen to what they have to say. I'm like, yeah. But what he said. Within two days, Muhammad and, and his best friend Yassin had given their lives to Jesus that they might be one as you and I are one, Father, so that the world may know. Because when we have this kind of unity, this kind of, and and, and I just want to tell you, like, we've got to surrender to the Lord, and we've got to ask for it, because so many times, like, so I just need to confess, like, I lead a a church of small groups, and so so many times I don't want to go to small group, and it's in my house. I want to be like, Steph, you lead, and I'm going to be in my bedroom watching football and eating snackies, right? And so I, I, I just want to tell you, so often my flesh, I don't want to be there. And so I have to say, like, Lord, would you do something? And the crazy thing is, almost at the end of every night, almost every time, I'm like, I'm so glad I did that. That prayer touched me. Seeing what happened in, in, in Juan's life tonight, or, or seeing, seeing this girl come to Jesus tonight, or, or man, what if we wouldn't have met where this person broke down and shared their biggest crisis, or, or wow, we just saw this person take care of this person, and their life is getting transformed, and I walk away, and I'm always encouraged. 
Let me just, if you're not convinced yet biblically, and you're more of a I believe in science type of person, let me give you some scientific benefits of close community. Uh, number one is longevity. People that live in community scientifically live longer. And actually, you have a 50% chance of not dying a premature death if you'll just be in community. It's crazy. Um, accountability. Now, this one, talk about percentages. If you just want to play the percentage game, uh, according to the American Society of Training and Development, people who live in community and share their goals and aspirations inside community are 95%, have a 95% greater chance of actually seeing them fulfilled. So you want to actually have a successful life of seeing your goals fulfilled, be in a community and tell people what you're believing for and what you're aspiring to. 95% greater chance. How about emotional stability. This was the pandemic, so hard, but what came out of it were these studies of people that were connected to church small groups, and their emotional stability, their resilience, and their lack of despair and depression for those that were committed to small groups skyrocketed above those who were disengaged. The, the, the science proves that being committed to koinonia fellowship, it greatly enhances our life. It's a part of the abundant life. Let me just finish by just telling you the, the, the benefits that you're going to experience as you're part of this. Because here's our desire is that all people's church is not a one-winged plane. I, I can tell you, you've never looked up into the sky and been, oh, there's Delta again flying with one wing, Right? Planes always have two wings. And so when the, the, the Bible explains the founding of the church, what does it say in Acts 2? It says they met in the temple courts and house to house. So healthy Christianity is always the large gathering where we experience, I mean, you were experiencing it this morning, just the awe of, the, of all of us coming in and worshiping together. And then you experience that, that good Bible teaching but that the, the small group, you experience intimate friendship. Like, the, why did Jesus have 12? Sociological studies today show that 12 is the, the number of people that you can actually relate on a deep level with. And so that's when we come together in these homes, we actually can know each other and, and we can actually, we, we see when someone's missing. I mean, here's one of the things I love about it is that no one's forced to be there. Like, you're forced to be at work. Right? You, you don't get to work today and go like, thank you so much, your boss. Thank you so much for coming to work today. You're like, no, if you don't come, you're getting fired. Right? Or school. Right? You have to go to school. They're going to take attendance. They're, you're not going to pass. But no one has to go to a small group. What other group do you show up at and you're like, everyone wants to be here? Like, you actually want to be with me. So here, here are some of the, the benefits. One is empathy. I love what psychologists Bill and Christy Galtier say. They say empathy is the oxygen for our soul. Like we desperately need a place where we can go and actually be real and say like this is hard. Right? My, my parent is going through cancer right now. I've lost my job right now. The mar marriage is struggling. My child is 
in pain. And you can share, and people actually, they're not going to lecture you. They're just going to go, I am so sorry. And we're going to mourn with those who mourn, and we're going to rejoice with those who rejoice. There's empathy. There's prayer support. Where can you go every week where you know you can share a burden, and someone's going to lay hands on you and pray for you? What an incredible source of strength in life. There's accepting friendships. There's accepting friendships because, again, there's agape love. You don't have to go and go like, man, I wonder if people want me here. I, I can tell you, when you show up, you're, a, a, you're leading a life group, people show up, you are so happy they're there. You're like, I, I'm not doing this just for me. I love people showing up to actually know that people want you there. A place to practice our spiritual gifts. We can't, every week, we, we can't all come in here and everyone do their gifts, but the Bible says in 1 Corinthians, 1, uh, 1 Corinthians 14, 26, whenever you come together, everyone has a word, a hymn, a psalm, a spiritual song, a tongue, or interpretation of tongues. And so these are where we can start using our gifts of mercy and our gifts of hospitality and our gifts of administration, and you start growing as you use those. Here's another one. It's a safe place to ask questions. It would really be hard to be a preacher if every time I said something you didn't understand, you raised your hand in church, right, and, and stopped me. But this is a great place. I don't know how many times I've been in a small group where someone just stops because it's a small group, and they say, hey, I totally don't get this. Can you explain the abomination that causes desolation for me? Right? It's just a great, safe place to say, I don't get this, right? And, and we can talk about that. It's a place of practical care and help in times of crisis. I, I, I have seen people do things in this church, taking care of, of sick ones, bringing food in times of crisis, going and sitting in a hospital room. I, can, I could never visit everyone that ends up in the hospital, but when people go in the hospital that are part of small groups, they have people visiting them. They have people bringing them food. A baby's born. Man, there's all these meals that show up. Someone's car breaks down. I was, I'm a part of a guy's group, and I didn't think of it. I didn't say anything, and all of a sudden, the guys just started giving money to fix someone's car. I've seen people actually give each other their cars. I've seen people pay for another family to go on vacation with them because that family, I mean, it's just mind-boggling. The, the, the way that they actually do Acts 2.42 of meeting each other's needs. And lastly, it's an environment for discipleship. Jesus said, go and make disciples of all nations. And, and yet so much of the church doesn't do that, but we get into small groups and you get disciples. You're in your 12 and you're growing together. It's a place for more mature believers to invest in younger believers. And you see, I mean, that's when my faith started skyrocketing is when I got involved. And so what I'm asking you, men and women, I, 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 because I believe it's actually what's very best for you is that if you're a part of this church community, you get involved in one of our small groups. And I'm even going to put up the, the QR code that you can scan right now um, so, or the way you can get involved on our app. We're about to start our next small group season starting next week, not this week, next week, this coming week, Tuesday night, we'll have our prayer rally and then the next week. And what I want to tell you is this is what God has intended to heal, transform, and use you to change other people's lives. And this is how we experience the abundant life and how you'll experience true koinonia. You join a guardian of the galaxies team to be a part, 
seeing the kingdom of God advance. Grab your communion cup. Why don't we stand up?